0: of the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Brett Landry, part of the team at Christ City Church. I had an opportunity a while ago to sit down with Dr. Ian Proven from Regent College. He is the chair of biblical studies there, and so we get to talking about biblical studies, the importance of the Old Testament, how to read different genres of literature, and how that all comes together as we seek to live a life that glorifies God. I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Brett Landry, and I have the privilege today of being with Dr. Ian Proven, who is the Marshall Shepherd Professor of Biblical Studies at Regent College, author of numerous books and articles and essays, and uh, we're very, very thankful to be able to have him on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: I am delighted to be here, Brett. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you can you tell me quickly, uh, what is the uh, Marshall Shepard Professor of Biblical Studies all about? What is that role? What does Biblical Studies hmm. versus every other kind of Bible study, doctrinal study look like?
1: Well, Biblical Studies is just the name of an academic discipline in the same way that you would have other disciplines at school or college or whatever. And it goes back uh, a while now to a period when people were thinking about how to organize universities and seminaries. And they thought it would be better to split things up a bit, you know, not just do theology, but to have different sub-disciplines um, as a way of focusing people's expertise and, and so on. So that's what I teach largely. But I also teach in relation to culture and a whole bunch of other things mm-hmm. as well.
0: Your specializations uh, bring you into teaching more Old Testament the New Testament in that sense of, uh, you know, I think some of the classes that you teach, I know I've taken one with you, um, and, and a number of things, would that be an accurate assessment?
1: Yeah. Um, I like my title biblical studies cause I don't want to give the impression or even to think for a moment that somehow the two testaments don't belong with each other, but there's a particular merit in focusing in on the old Testament in its own, uh, nature. Um, before you then get involved in the broad discussions, and that's mainly what I'm focused or centered on for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I mean, for us who are, are are sitting here in the city of Vancouver in 2019, um, you know, people who are listening to this take their faith seriously. They're the kind of people who are engaged in scripture. Um, what I think the temptation is at times to linger in the New Testament a little more. And maybe even be a little bit afraid of diving into the Old Testament on their own. I mean, we've tried to make it a practice at Christ City that we teach uh, alternatively between Old Testament, New Testament, not necessarily given with the uh, equal amount of weeks in different things. But, you know, we've tried over the past six years to do so. Um, what would you say to a person who's saying, I don't really know why I need to continue to dig into the Old Testament?
1: Um I would say, to put it pretty bluntly, that it just goes with our Christian discipleship that we have to accept that the Bible is two Testaments and not one, and that it's not like a consumer choice. It's <laughs> that uh, <laughs> Christ gave us the Old Testament and through his apostles gave us the New Testament and did so for good reasons that, that we need to accept. Um So in some ways, I want to kind of turn the question back around and say, why is this a question? Right. I know that it is a question, but it's a strange question in a way,
0: right? Yeah, I think it is. I I mean, I I personally think it's a strange question. I've also spent some time studying the topic and, you know, would agree with you. Um, I think there's people who who are maybe intimidated by... Yeah. uh, I mean, when you read Isaiah, right? When I read Isaiah, I, I read it and go, I wonder what he's talking about. And there are times, and, and I've spent the last, I don't know, basically my entire adult life studying the Bible, and I, there are still portions of Scripture that I would, I would come to and say, I'm not exactly sure what this means, and it's going to require me to access some of the learning I've done and the tools that I have to start to figure this out. And so the person who's reading the Bible devotionally uh, on a day-to-day basis, or, or maybe every other day kind of basis, um, looking at Isaiah... Uh, for instance, uh, or you could pick any book in the Old Testament, really, and saying, how do I access this, and and how do I rightly read it?
1: Yeah, well, those are great questions. So on the assumption we can agree it's Christian scripture and we ought to read it, Yes. <clears throat> the question you're asking is, okay, but what? how do we do that? And that's a great question, and it's a question that every church individually and the church as a global historic institution ought to be helping people to do. And there are a number of uh, ways of doing that, which I'll get back to once I've cleared my throat. <coughs> That's all good. Edit, yeah, edit. Um, so you're reading Isaiah, for example, and I think with a with a book like that, you have to try to understand what somebody like Isaiah was saying to his own people in his own time. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to spot where he stops saying one thing and starts saying another and so there are kind of some disciplines it's not rocket science it's not easy Mm -hmm. in the sense that we do need to put some effort into yes but then at some point somebody taught us to put effort even into reading english literature right right from children we're accustomed to that now we don't think about it so it does require a little bit of effort because we're dealing with literature from the ancient past from different cultural contexts um but if we believe Scripture is important, then we ought to be putting that effort in as far as we can.
0: Yeah, when you uh, think of the different—I mean, the the different genres of literature in the Bible—and and it's not as though we come to Genesis, Exodus, you know, through to Malachi, uh, or really even the Gospels or the letters of Paul or Revelation. We don't come to those looking at them all the same way. and and, and trying to see them. It's not like grabbing the newspaper from today and seeing what what were in the headlines. How how should we go about reading it in that way to the person who maybe is is quite serious about their faith, but has not done any formal theological study?
1: Well, formal theological study is very important. It's a very important thing for some people to do, like church leaders and and Mm -hmm. so on. But everyone should be engaged, I think, in Theological study. Yes. It's the formal bit by which we usually mean, you know, going to a college, paying fees and stuff. And only a certain number of folks will ever be able to do that. But I think it's a responsibility of the Christian disciple to become as well educated about their faith as they can. We don't all have the same capacity. Yes. Uh, we don't all, at every point of our life, have the same amount of time. But insofar as we can we ought to Um, and part of becoming more educated is is recognizing the difference it makes that a psalm is a psalm a proverb is a proverb a prophecy is a prophecy and that these are not the same thing Mm -hmm. and that god chose not to say what he wants to say in the same way all the time which i think is theologically significant it's important not to ignore it because we could I can imagine God might have given us a different kind of Bible, and I think that most of us at some point have wished that he did, right? Uh, So what does it mean that he didn't is the interesting Mm. question. It looks as if it means that God has designed this whole business to be something that requires some work on our part. And I think of Jesus' parables, you know. We tend to think they're kind of obvious in terms of what they mean, particularly if we've grown up in church. Yeah. But you look at the, the Gospels, and clearly many people found his parables baffling. Yes. They required work. The disciples came and asked him further questions, right? So what does it mean that God doesn't make it just easy for us? That's really important.
0: Yeah. The When reading some of the we taught through the book of Zechariah uh, early in the life of Christ City I'm kind of thankful we did it early Uh, but we we did it early we did it actually through the summer and so studying Zechariah uh, and the the purpose behind it was really that it's the the, uh, most Christological prophet aside from Isaiah and I didn't have you know 150 weeks to teach through Isaiah with some sort of comprehensive uh, understanding plus I still am baffled by much of it but Zechariah, uh, a smaller bite-sized chunk, but in the proto-apocalyptic genre of literature. H- how would you then say to somebody who's approaching that with like fear and trepidation versus approaching kings, which I know is a specialty for you, uh, how, what can we do differently to, to, to say something? And I, I'm going to put it the most pragmatic way possible. I want to get something out of it, okay? and I, which I, I actually disagree with that statement. Which we can talk about, but but if I'm reading the Bible and I want to get something out of it, what is the way that I would approach those two different genres of Old Testament literature that I might be able to comprehend it?
1: Well, a narrative. Let's start with Kings because we mainly know what a narrative is. We've grown up with narratives. We kind of know how to read narratives, and the book the Book of Kings, First and Second Kings, um, that's what it is. And so you have to pay attention to the flow of the plot, to put it that way, to the characters, to, to what's being said, you know, in terms of a narrative flow. A prophetic book doesn't work like that. There are very few narratives in prophetic books. What you have is a collection of sayings or oracles or little mini sermons that have been stitched together, collected, you know, by folks who thought they were important, put together very often quite deliberately in a certain order, so they communicate a larger message, mm. and so you need to get into these different kinds of genres far enough that you kind of know what you're doing. A little bit of effort, I would say. Again, not yeah, rocket science. That's right. Though. This is not something that requires like a you know a university education. It just requires a bit of perseverance, a bit of help from your you mm-hmm. know community group or, or your elders or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that. Let's talk about a community of people putting together a book of the Bible, because it, it's very interesting. So I came to faith as uh, I was almost twenty when I came to t- came to faith. So I'd never grown up in the church. I didn't learn the stories in the Bible. I, I mean, there were some certain assumptions i did I was fascinated when I first started to read the Bible and found that the golden rule was in the Bible. You know, I'd been taught the golden rule, but really only for that um, moral imperative of listening to my mom. You know, I think that was really the essence of the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But basically, whenever I need to hit you with that stick, you're going to you're gonna learn to be a better person. So that's, that's fantastic. I think it's good wisdom. The idea, though, that the Bible—so again, I didn't come to this uh, as a child. Uh, I didn't grow up in it. So when somebody told me that Moses definitively wrote the entirety of the first five books of the Bible— I said, uh, okay, there's some questions I would have about that. It seems as though he may have had some help, seeing how it recounts the death of Moses. Can Which you? is
1: not, it's not easy to write about that <laughs> No, while, while you're alive.
0: We're, we're big on resurrection stuff. I mean, yeah. we, we, we yeah. t- together both believe that. But I don't think Moses was resurrected then to record the final chapter of his life. There,
1: there's certainly no reason to believe that.
0: Yes, yeah. that's right. And yeah. so why uh, it just... Talk to me about a community of people putting together books of the Bible that maybe we've traditionally given authorship to one individual. Yeah, part of the problem here
1: is that as modern people, we have a particular idea in our head as we start as to what an author is. We think of an author as an individual. That's a very modern Western thing to do. An individual person who sits down with a blank page or a screen now and like, imagines or thinks or whatever. And of course, this is entirely not what ancient authorship was like, right? Ancient authorship took place in royal courts and palaces and temples. It was informed by the community. Um, it was very much a group exercise with scribes copying manuscripts and so on. And you see traces of this in the Bible itself. Uh, the book of Jeremiah, for example, we're told in the book that Baruch was actually his scribe, the guy who wrote it. And we're also told that the first attempt at it was burned by the king right. and then a second edition was produced in which many other words were added. That's that's the kind of terminology. So you have little glimpses into this idea that we have a process here of yes. speech, very often sermons or whatever, prophetic oracles or writings like um, annals, you know, or chronicles. Yeah. And these are then collected, they're, they're preserved by those who think they're important, and they are passed on, and they're associated with other texts. And sometimes in the Bible, they're associated with texts that don't actually belong to the person who produced all the other stuff. Right. So the book of Jeremiah ends with a passage borrowed from Second Kings. There's an oracle in Isaiah 2 that's virtually the same oracle as you find in Micah 4. So clearly, when we think of authorship in biblical times, we have to think of a much bigger, richer, more complicated idea than the modern one.
0: Yeah, I've used this as an example before in teaching through Proverbs, where the beginning of it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And yet, then in chapter 25, all of a sudden it says, uh, these are the Proverbs of Solomon assembled by I can't, Hezekiah's men or something like that in the mm-hmm. first verse. So, so who are they? And then all of a sudden you're okay. There were kings who thought this was important to hang on to, so they they commissioned some people to grab some more wise sayings of Solomon, and they put them together, and then you get to chapter 30, and it's Agur, and then you get to chapter 31, and it's Lemuel. And so, uh, But I mean, to say that to a certain kind of person who's brought up in a certain kind of tradition— that, that this was not written by so-and-so, it, it actually is quite, it can be shaking to their faith. It, it can be shaking <clears throat> to people's faith,
1: but that's exactly why the church has to educate its people, because it need not be shaking. Uh, a lot of people have been taught unhelpful things mm. as part of the whole Christian package. It doesn't mean the Christian package is untrue. It just means that Elements of it are not the best way of thinking about stuff. So this idea that because it's the word of God, it can't also be human words subject to normal human processes, right. that's the problem. There's a kind of uh, dualism there. It's either God or it's human. Right. But that's a bit like saying Jesus is either God or human. I mean, that's actually a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know. So uh, I think if we think about Scripture in relation to the Incarnation, actually, we're going to have a much better notion of what we're dealing with here.
0: And so just to, to tease that out a little bit further, if we think of Scripture as having that uh, very human element of these were people who wrote things down that were important, that were collected historically, that were assembled Edited and put together, and yet at, this, at the very same time, we can say that was done under God's rule and guidance, yeah. and believe that He is involved in this deeply, whereby He would communicate the revelation of who He is and what He wills for people. That we might actually be able to hang on to both of those things, which is again like the resurrection or like the incarnation of Jesus, where He comes as fully man and yet fully God. To fully reveal who God is What he's like And what his will for people is
1: Yeah that's dead right I mean if you ask Why did people preserve these things at all It's because they already regarded Isaiah's words As the words of God That's why they passed them on This is why we have a Bible Where we have very scattered literary remains From the rest of the ancient world Mm -hmm. Why do we have a Bible at all It's unique Um, We don't have like the, the Assyrian or Egyptian equivalent of that But here we have a living tradition where people are saying, this is important. We need to pass it on. Uh, There's a process there. And we know it was done under the providential care of God because Jesus then tells us these are the scriptures, right? Right. So uh, the New Testament guys, you know, the apostles, when they're talking to people about the gospel, the thing they always have to demonstrate is that these things were done in accordance with the scriptures. So we tend to say we have the New Testament and here we have this problem thing called right. the Old Testament. Yeah. How do we fit it in, yeah. which is the opposite to the early church? The early church was we have this Bible and here we have Jesus. You know, how do, how do right. we how do we fit all of that together? Right. We, we know the truth already. Yeah. Here's more truth. So they were coming at it from a very different point of view, and I think we need to revert to that view. That's
0: very interesting to say it that way. To The, the early church had the text of Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and they had to figure out what to do with Jesus in light of the truth they already held. That was the whole dynamic for the Jewish
1: followers of Jesus. I mean, the Gentiles is different business, but yep. even there it's interesting that... Even though the Gentiles did not grow up obviously as Jews, when the apostles are writing letters to them, they presuppose they know the Old Testament, and right. they presuppose that everything has to be measured against the Old Testament. Right. Even though these people have no heritage in that, but they've been they've been inducted into the people of God. Therefore, they that story is their story. Yes. Right. And before you ever get a New Testament, that is true, because, of course, we don't have a New Testament as such till much later. We have the beginnings of letters and we have have Gospels and so on, and these are circulating. But even as late as the second century AD, the vast majority of uh, texts being quoted as Scripture come from the Old Testament.
0: You have the same kind of thing, like you would have said, they highly regarded what Isaiah had written, therefore they hung on to what he wrote, and they put together and compiled it. You have the same thing happening with the, the formation of the New Testament, where you have a, a, a person like Peter, who's even writing in a letter of his that the words of Paul, the letters of Paul, should be regarded as Scripture. They're hanging on to these letters.
1: Yeah, and you'll notice he says there, even though they're difficult to understand sometimes, which goes back to our how do we read question, right? I mean, our problems sometimes with understanding Scripture are not new. That's always been an issue as well. But you're quite right. I mean, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. How come we have it, right? Yeah. Well, the answer is that already they are treasuring these apostolic writings. These are the people who either knew Christ or had a vision of Christ, as Paul did, or hung out with the apostles. Um, And so their letters and gospels and so on are to be treasured as part of the same revelatory process. But it's not either or. It's not. You know, so here's the new testament. We can junk the old. You just, you just can't, absolutely can't do that. No,
0: absolutely, yeah. I agree. Uh, a couple of questions for you. Favorite book of the Bible?
1: You know, I'm asked that question a lot, and i I've never yet given a straight answer. Ah. To it. And and it's not because I couldn't. It's just because I don't even kind of want to go there because. It's all important. And even if um, I don't react like emotionally to it yep. as strongly as in one case or another, I feel that mm. I need to be, a, as a matter of principle, I need to receive it all as important.
0: So. It's, a, it's a very diplomatic kind of answer. Well, it's a very, such... I, I think it's a very scholarly, even pastoral type <laughs> answer of it's all important. And, and if you, I would probably say something very similar. So I like that. It's, mm. it's good wisdom for us as well.
1: Well, I, I think it's something we have to try to strive for. Of course, we have texts that have become very important to us over the years mm-hmm. for various personal reasons, and that's true. But, um, and you know, there are texts that that's true for me, too. But I feel we have to strive very, very hard not to be accidental consumers of the Bible. Yes. You know, I like this, I
0: don't like this. So this um, comes back around to my question before, and I, I wanted to come back to it reading the Bible to get something out of it for me.
1: Yeah, we see that there's, there's the problem right there. That's right. Um, it's almost as if, well, it's not almost as if we live in a culture where what I feel, whether I feel happy, whether I feel fulfilled um, is the number one predominant mm-hmm. thing. And that's what all the advertisers know, which is why they keep selling us stuff <laughs> along those lines. right? right? And of course any culture uh, then creates its own set of problems for being being a Christian, different kinds of problems. And the problem is that we can become wired to be consumers. Um, and uh, so it's immediate impact, quick fix, five-second endorphin, yes. whatever, that's the thing. Anything difficult, anything challenging, anything upsetting, we're going to like avoid. That's the mood of the culture, it seems to me. It's terribly important we don't treat Holy Scripture in that way. Mm. Um, And that we recognize that the benefit of Holy Scripture will not necessarily be obvious to us actually within five seconds, ten minutes, or even even a year. But the, the process of committing ourselves to immersing Ourselves learning to read it well and so on, as we look back, we will become aware of how it has shaped us, and that's the that's the important question: not whether we enjoyed it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: not whether we feel happier as a result of it, but whether it has deepened our holiness, uh, changed our character, made us better people, and it may well have done that by making us wretchedly unhappy. Which is something the culture <laughs> doesn't want to hear, you know, yes. but the ways of God in the world, God's, God's primary purpose is not to make us happy right now, because actually there's a lot to be unhappy about, including our own state. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to be very, very careful, I think, in this area.
0: I think that's such fantastic help for us uh, just as we approach the scriptures that we would understand. I think if, if there's anything to take away, you might just hear uh, and you might be listening to this and think, I, I didn't know that it was difficult to read the Bible for everyone that it, that's a, a unique. Uh, it's not unique to me that it's difficult, but actually everyone has to reckon with this and do some hard work to begin to understand uh, some passages that are maybe more difficult than others. Or even some parables that on first blush may seem simple and then all of a sudden you recognize the depth of the challenge or the pointedness that Jesus spoke them with in the midst of, uh, of the conversations he was having with the culture around him. So, yeah, we have to do some difficult digging uh, on occasion to grow in this. And it's a lifelong cumulative thing where we may not have even this year a real grasp on a certain thing. And I think that's the importance to continually come back to scripture and not say, well, you know, have you read, uh, yeah, I read Genesis once. I think I understand it. Let's move on. It's actually something you go back and meditate on and you allow God to speak to you through his word, uh, to form you into the kind of person who he would have you be to do his will in your life.
1: Yeah. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that our life is a journey. Um, And so when we read scripture the second, third, fourth time in a particular place, we're not in the same place. And therefore, it's very often been my experience that you'll suddenly understand something with a fresh clarity that used to confuse you. And in that case, it's not because you've read more books. It's just because your life experience now has helped you to see and to understand something that when you were like 17, you had no capacity for Mm -hmm. understanding.
0: Right. I, I had that happen with, and I i mean, to my shame, I had preached on the story of the prodigal son out of Luke 15. And I mean, I had exploited that text, I think, in, at times in the past to try and illustrate things and the love of the Father. And and you have this happen. And one day I was driving down the road, and and it and I was meditating on this text, and it, it hit me afresh. This is about five years ago. And I, it, it recalibrated my understanding of who I am. And I thought I I was pretty sure I understood this text Mm -hmm. But the problem was Is I hadn't rightly Understood God Mm -hmm. And I still think I understood the mechanics Of the text There was just an aspect Of seeing who God is That I wasn't ready To see earlier in my life Yeah And all of a sudden I went oh my goodness This is how he wants To relate to me And It changed me, and I I thank God for moments like that, moments of clarity in obscure passages and moments of clarity in well-worn pages in my Bible that, um, like you said, they come the the 50th time you read it, it's something different that stands out to you because of who you've become.
1: Indeed, and our sense of our own understanding of ourselves also deepens and changes. One of the more tragic aspects of our contemporary culture, that people appear to have tremendous confidence in their ability to understand who they are, mm-hmm. not just who God is, mm-hmm. but who they are right at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that what I feel right now about my identity, for example, is like infallibly true. Right. You know, trust your gut right now. And of course it's disastrous because we are very far from having twenty-twenty vision on ourselves either. And scripture's a mirror that we can and we should hold up before us and very often as we get older, we look back and, and we say things like, I had no idea who I was when I was 17 right. or 25 or whatever. Actually, I thought I did. Yes. And so it shows you the folly of of this tremendous kind of urge for the right now, five second, give me a philosophy that gives me an endorphin burst, you know, yeah. right now. It's, it's a... It's tragic, it's dangerous, it's not constructive, um, it's not the way that Scripture suggests we approach the whole business. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. Ian, thank you so much for uh, coming on, for giving us uh, a little window into the Old Testament in particular, into the Scriptures in general, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. I know there's a number of other topics I'd love to cool. quiz you on, ask you about, so thank you so much. Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. Here Be
1: Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online
0: at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragons Podcast.